Well, here's another extra Forever Blue podcast. Um, I chatted a couple of weeks ago to Fred A, used to be my commentary sidekick on BBC Radio Manchester, raconteur, million-selling uh, author, of course, um, played for Manchester City, and also a whole lot of non-league clubs in his after-career. Really, really entertaining guy. Thanks very much to charleslewy.co.uk, who, of course, have been sponsoring the podcast throughout the season, and to the other sponsors who supported me, Hotclick Marketing and the RRG Group. Hope you enjoy this. This is courtesy of Tameside Radio, who I do a weekly show for at one o'clock every Saturday afternoon. Fred Air in conversation. Welcome along, Fred. Nice to speak to you. Yeah, how are you doing, Ian? I'm very well, I'm very well. Now, Good. what a life you've had. You, you have uh, done so many things, achieved so many things. What are you the most proud of? Let's start with that. What, of all the things that you've done in your life, tell me the thing that makes you the proudest. Um, I'm proud to have actually um, signed for Manchester City. Which be, the reason that being is uh, because ever since my dad took me to see my first football match, which was at Main Road, obviously Manchester City, uh, Manchester City nil, uh, Arsenal three. And uh, from that moment, even though that was a bad day for the uh, City fans, uh, it, I was, it, the whole thing just captured my imagination and, um, and it fired my ambition, not just to be a footballer, but to be a, a footballer for Manchester City. And um, at the age of 15, I actually signed for Manchester City. And whilst it wasn't all plain sailing from that point, um, I did actually become a professional footballer with Manchester City Football Club, which is what I always dreamed of. As a boy, is that, was that you, what you always dreamed of then? Yeah, um, from that first day, the magic of the the colour uh, of the of the of the grass and the atmosphere with a, a packed house at Main Road, and the, everything about it, and and looking back, the fact that I was there with my dad, I felt safe among all these men, stood behind the goals, all in flat caps, smoking cigarettes. I was in there amongst them, and uh, it was like that every every home game, uh, more or less forever. As a little lad, uh, little little Frederick Eyre, um, when yeah. you were, you were an only child, weren't you? Yeah. So as as a little only child, um, from your humble beginnings, nothing wrong with us, by the way. No. Was that what you aspired to when you were at school and you were you were making your way through life? You can't have thought one day, you know, I'm going to play for Manchester City. I'm going to be a professional footballer. You can't well, have thought that. Well, well, that was a hope. Uh, that was a dream. And uh, then uh, when I was seven years of age, uh, I was at uh, Crossley uh, Primary School on Victoria Avenue in Blakely. That was me. That, that, was, the, uh, that was the local school. And um, I then started playing football in the school playground. And I thought rather immodestly, I suppose, I, I thought I'm, I'm one of the best better players here. I'm, I'm a bit better than everybody else. And I got in the school team. Uh, which was under 11s and I was only seven and I was able to not get kicked about and hold my own. And whilst it still seemed every Saturday when I went to watch the big time stuff, it still seemed a million miles away. I was encouraged by the fact that uh, as a seven-year-old, I was playing against and scoring goals against 11-year-olds. 
and um, and then I got to eight, nine, ten, and by the time I was in the t- in the top year, um, I, w- I was far and away the, the you know the best player at, in the school, and um, that fired my ambition for when I went to the next school, and the same thing happened again. Uh, knowing you as I have, I've done for a long time, I know you're a, a deep thinker, a studious type of person. So when you were a kid, were you like that? Were you thinking, if this doesn't work out, I'll do this instead? Because no. you certainly had a plan when you had the injury, which uh, which meant that it didn't work out for you sit- at City in the way you dreamed. Yeah, no, I never had. Um, I just looked at, um, I, I devoured football uh, knowledge and about the players. Um, it was just something that uh, was my way, way of life because I was totally interested in it. Um, so I, I was just uh, carrying on doing my best, playing as best I could for each each team, and um, and I, I was still felt as though there was nobody around who might be a little bit better than me. Um, it wasn't arrogance it was just that's the way things were Um, and the the first time I got a little bit of a jolt was when I was playing for Juicy Avenue and we played heel place and in the opposing team um, was a big gangly kid called Neil Young and uh, he was the only one up to that point in my little life that I'd looked at at the end of a game and thought God he might even be better than me, um, but it just inspired me even even more um, to to just carry on. But I had no plan B because the first plan was to try and do my best to be a professional footballer if I possibly could. At that stage, understandably, you've mentioned Neil Young there as being just an opponent when you were a, a kid. When you walked into the to the club and you were offered those, uh, you know, the, the initial forms that you signed, were you in awe of people like Neil Young and other other players that were there? Um, or or was, did you just take it in your stride? I was in awe of the first team players. Uh, as it happened, I, I signed um, like as, as a ground staff lad before Neil. So when he, 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 he got a job in an electrical shop at All Saints, uh, first of all, they didn't take him on immediately. Um, so I was there three months before him. So I was able to welcome him when he uh, when he came in full time on the ground staff, uh, by which time we'd known each other very, very well because we'd played a season uh, or two for, uh, for Manchester schoolboys. Uh, and so I wasn't in awe of the, anybody of my own age, but every morning... To walk in and see Bert Troutman and see Ken Barnes and Joe Hayes um, and Dave Ewing, all of them that, I'd, uh, that I watched every Saturday. And now that I'm, I'm there training with them, cleaning their boots uh, for them to train, uh, when the five-a-sides come out, I'm, I'm in somebody's team. And uh, you, you, just, uh, you just slip into it, but it, it doesn't ever leave you um, when you're dealing with people that you've admired for so many years, that, to feel that you're almost on the same level as them. Fantastic feeling. Given that, that optimism that you had at that stage and your ambitions to obviously have a, a long career, ideally, given that you're a, a lifelong City fan as well, at the club that you loved, 
Um, how close did you get to playing? Because you never actually, because of injury, never actually played in the first team, did you? I don't think it was because of injury. Um, although my last game ended, last game ended in an injury, as it turned out. I didn't know it was going to be my last game when I was being carried off on the stretcher. Uh, that was just the way things out uh, worked out. Uh, so it was an injury. I think it was basically uh, a lack of talent. Um, when I got to uh, when I got to that stage, um, I could uh, I could feel people who possibly the season before in the club weren't as good as me. I was I was standing still. I was beginning to tread a bit of water, and the injury just put the top hat on it really. And uh, and and so yeah, it is true that I didn't uh, I didn't play in the first team before uh, before I left. But I don't think uh, the injury had anything to do with it. You're very grounded of individual to, to look at it so pragmatically. Did you look at it that pragmatically when you left there and moved on no. and, and it was a big, clearly a big step down and maybe a bit of a, an anti-climax from playing at City? No, I, um, it, uh, it was just uh, heartbreaking. Um, but it was the first of, um, of, of many over the years. But... Um, it, with it being from Manchester City, the the uh, so at that point the whole dream had ended, but I just had to go somewhere else and um, and uh, and try and play uh, football at whatever level that um, I, it turned out for for me. It just wasn't going to be at the very top level the way it turned out. Is that the lowest point of your career then, Fred, or maybe even your life that you you'd lost that that dream had gone? Yeah, yeah, it. it uh, it, it was, yeah. That's uh, that is true. How did you cope with it? Because obviously, we 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 see and you and I have seen particularly a lot of young players come through. I'm thinking of um, one really good example who is Michael Johnson. Who he did play yeah. in the first team for City, but he had the world at his feet. A player I so much admired, uh, and I thought could have been anything he wanted to be, and it didn't work out for him. And he clearly um, he's not here to speak for himself. I know, but he did, clearly didn't couldn't cope really with, with, with it all and, and you, you were even younger than he was when the big setbacks happened so how did you cope with it? Um, to be honest I didn't know whether I was uh, coping it, uh, I just hoped that somebody would give me another chance and uh, Lincoln City came along and, uh, and so I signed for them but uh, the injury which I'm going at great lengths to say didn't finish my career at City. By the the, the summer, by the time it was time for pre-season training, uh, halfway through the summer, um, it wasn't long enough for me to uh, cure myself of, of of this injury. So I actually signed for them injured. Um, I don't blame myself for doing it because I thought I'd be okay. I didn't try and hoodwink the club. I thought I'd be okay. Um, but when pre-season started at Lincoln, you know, I was in a great deal of discomfort. And what they used, and then in the evening, for example, uh, my landlord, where I was in digs, Mr. Foley, used to get me in his car and drive me to Skegness, just along from Lincoln, and I'd paddle in the ice cold water uh, every single night for an hour, and um, and do all sorts of. Uh, um, recommended treatments from all sorts of people to try and get myself right 
um, but eventually it uh, it let me down again, and um, the season was like halfway over before I could uh, I could run to, uh, pain free. So I I just had to. Uh, so the injury did take its toll in the long run, um, but didn't finish me at City. Well, you're listening to Fred Air here on Thameside Radio. I'm Ian Cheeseman, Fred Air, who started his career, his footballing career, that is, at Manchester City, uh, but went on to be a million-selling author, um, an after-dinner speaker, um, a, a very successful businessman, co-commentator on the radio with me, so many other things which we'll get on to in the non-too-distant future. You're listening to Thameside Radio on 103.6 FM, and we'll talk some more to Fred right after this. In this hour, I'm talking to Fred Eyre, the football... Uh, one word that's been used to, to describe him is raconteur, uh, footballer and all sorts of, uh, of other titles. What title do you prefer? I suppose it's footballer, really, Fred, isn't it? Yeah, uh, the longer <laughs> I can hang on to that title, the, uh, the happier I'll be. Now, I'd put it to you that one of the reasons, because I asked you just before the break about dealing with disappointment, one of the reasons you have been able to, to deal with it is because of your wit and your sense of humour, which has led you into other parts of your career, not least your tales of Lincoln and all the clubs that you played for after that being part of a million-selling book, which we can talk about in more detail but a little bit later on. But in terms of your humour, do you think that's that's the thing that's got you through life? Yeah, I think so. Um, my dad was uh, quite a witty person. I think I uh, I used to I used to enjoy having a bit of a uh, bit of banter with him and being surrounded by football people since from the age of uh, fourteen. I would think uh, a, t- a team game and uh, being pre- prepared to, for people to uh, take the Mickey out of you a little bit and not get upset and uh, then start growing old enough to give a bit back and then when I had the when I left City and uh, a couple more clubs down the line it began to dawn on me that uh, um, I'm not going to actually end up where people thought I would and the humour side of it might have been a little bit of a defence mechanism where I would get the uh, I would take the mickey out of myself before uh, before other people did and uh, I used to just uh, laugh along with it and encourage it as I got older. There's more to it than that, of course. Um, whilst what you're saying certainly rings true for me, um, you have a way of things happening to you and where the same incident might happen to somebody else, it doesn't seem um, as, as worthy of a story or, or a way of telling a story, but you have a... A habit of first of all the things happen to you, but also being able to 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 make that a tale that that really entertains people. Where does that come from? Well, I think it's just the the occasions. I, I did realise after a short while that quite uh, these things, you know, humorous things uh, were presenting themselves to me wherever I went, and I wondered myself why that was. And uh, then it dawned on me that if you get out and about. And mix with lots of different people, then things, good things, uh, as well as the occasional bad, uh, happen to you. If you stay in at night, every night, and watch Coronation Street, not a lot's going to happen to you. Um, But if you're out and about and say yes to things instead of no, uh, one of my main assets over the years has been my availability. If uh, if I'm asked to do things and I'm able to, then I do it. 
and um, it doesn't matter that I have to put myself out a little bit. And when you do that and you arrive at these places in different parts of the country, all sorts of different characters crop up in, in, in your life and uh, you can enjoy the company and, uh, and bounce off them. So just simply by getting up and getting about. So obviously you have tales of, of your exploits at so many different clubs. How many, how many clubs do you ever keep count of? How many clubs you actually played for in your career? Um, well, I had 112 coaches and managers. Let, let's start at the, at, the very, at the very top. Hang on a minute. Um, Manchester City had that in about three seasons, didn't they? <laughs> I know, but I was doing it first. <laughs> so they were obviously following my blueprint. But um, no, in, ter in terms of, I actually, for the book, um, all those years ago, really, really studiously sat down and wrote all the names down. Even if somebody um, had, had been my coach for a couple of weeks and got sacked, um, he, 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 he was included in it. And, uh, and it was that actual, that, that many coaches and managers. So... Um, Overall, I've been at about, I think it was 29, uh, 29 clubs by the time I'd really finished and uh, in various guises. And a lot of this sort of humour comes from, in the, the book's obviously called Kicked Into Touch for those with people who don't know uh, the book. Um, oh, the punchline, a bit like um, uh, the Alan Partridge book that he did where he kept saying um, a, a certain punch, I can't think what it is now, so I don't know why I brought that up. But anyway, your punchline is always that you get kicked into touch by every club, which um, is self-deprecating well, humour, isn't it? Well, that was the reason for the uh, for the title. Um, so it's very self-explanatory, and um, it was one that just uh, came to me as I was driving around, um, mulling things over, um, as I was thinking about writing the book, having been asked a couple of times and said obviously no because uh, no, no, nobody would know who I was and uh, anyway after a couple more people asked I decided to think why not sit down and give it a little uh, little go and um, surprisingly because at school the best I got was a tick in composition <laughs> um, I found it the easiest thing that I've ever done in my life Honestly, um, it took six weeks to st uh, from start to finish. That includes writing it all, thinking the title, as you've just said, and um, and uh, and going through it a few times and editing it, etc., etc. It was. I don't want to be blasé about it, but I'm telling the truth. It was the easiest thing I've ever done. So, did its success surprise you then? Yes, now that is being honest as well. Um, I never thought anybody would buy it. I'd, uh, I'd buy it as a special present for my mum and dad, and um, there might be one or two local people in Blakely, etc. I didn't expect um, it to well. I didn't expect it to do well at all, and I wasn't that I wasn't that bothered because I'd have been staggered if it was to uh, uh, to sell a lot of copies. Uh, and but that is eventually what happened, especially after it first came out, and uh, it's still in um, existence today. All these years later, that was 1981, and uh, they just uh, reprint. They just keep reprinting it. Many the only printer in fours. 
So. <laughs> there you go. You're at it again. So, so of, of the stories and of the clubs that you've told, I'm not going to lead you into one, which I'm very tempted to do, and I've done with you before. But what's what's your favourite anecdote that you've you've told? Uh, well, there are uh, so many, but seeing as we've got as far as Lincoln, um, when uh, a few moments ago I've left City. Um, very, very dispirited, but still willing to put up a fight. And uh, I got a call in the summer asking would I go down as, and see the manager uh, with a view to signing uh, for Lincoln City. So I went down, my dad um, took a day off work. Must have been a big day in our life because I can't ever remember him having a single day off work the whole time. Um, that I was living at home, but say uh, took a day off work, and we both drove, and he drove me down to Lincoln, and uh, the manager was called uh, Bill Anderson, and he said uh, he said come in, son, take a seat, and uh, he was sat behind this uh, this massive desk, and the chair was the seat. I'm sure he'd uh, cut the legs down, so you you like sat on the foot on the floor almost, and he's looming over you, great big bear of a man. Um, he was a frightening sight. He had literally, uh, he, he had one eye that looked straight ahead, and the other one used to swivel about and do tricks all on its own. Seriously, <laughs> he, he was um, he was swiveling in a, in a big armchair, leather armchair, with all the stuffing coming out of, uh, of of its back. On the floor alongside him was his big dog, Sandy. He used to go everywhere uh, with him, and. Uh, he uh, he looked at me with his with his good eye and he said, "Son, we must have just about the two worst fullbacks in the entire football league, and I want to sign you as cover." <laughs> what a put down, eh? <laughs> so what would you do? How can you turn an offer like that down? <laughs> You've had adventures along the way as well. I mean, um, you know, you, you've you've met so many of your heroes, really, haven't you? And done things that other people would only dream about. I mean, I'm thinking of of playing out in America and uh, you know, in, in games with players I would obviously dream to play with. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's been great, and um, it, it's because of you know stuck at it. I stuck at it because I've loved doing it. Um, I've played wherever people, wherever I've felt wanted, at least when uh, they were wanting me to go there. Um, that soon uh, fizzled out after a few months of, uh, of seeing me every day. But uh, um, I was, I was always, I was always available. I was always cheap, and uh, I was always good around the dressing room. It was when we got on the pitch with the ball that the problems actually started. Well, you didn't you famously, um, you know, pass to, to Puskas and, uh, yeah, you know, think, you know not, not a bad achievement to have really, is it? No, but that was, uh, I was well finished um, and uh, a, a kid called Kevin Walsh, who was, um, who was an apprentice with me at City and he was released and he went home to Australia, where he came from and, and incidentally became a pop star, as you do. He became a, a member of a, of a band um, in Australia and were quite famous over there. Well, that's a, a story in itself. But we were good friends and uh, ev eventually yeah, invited me and Judith over uh, to go and stay with them 
in um, in Australia uh, for a couple of weeks, uh, which was great. And uh, it was in Melbourne. And uh, one day we'd been out for the day to the uh, Dandy Dong Mountains, just on the outskirts of Melbourne. And we got we got back, and uh, he, Kevin was reading the paper. He said, "There's a there's a big game on tonight." Uh, the best team in Melbourne versus the best team in Sydney. It's uh, like uh, as near as we get to a local derby. Do you fancy going? I could easily get tickets. I sort of thought, well, can't I? You know, I was getting a bit of withdrawal symptoms in Australia, not having watched any football. And so uh, we both trotted along to the game. We didn't even know there was a game on until half past five. And uh, by half past six, we were walking up to the ground. And as we were, uh, as we entered the ground and were walking around the perimeter wall, because our seats were on the other side, the two teams were kicking in at each end, as they always do. And in the centre circle, there was a photographer walking around the centre circle. And he saw, it glanced over to us and started waving. And so I said to Kevin, we're in Australia, don't forget. I said, uh, I said that photographer's waving to you. So Kevin waved, didn't know who it was, and he went, no, no, not you, him. And he was waving to me, uh, which was just uh, <laughs> unbelievable. So he, I waved, I went, wave, me. And he went, yeah, come on, come on. And he beckoned us over. And I, so I cocked my leg over the uh, wall, walked into the centre, so the floodlights streaming down, two teams playing. I felt completely at home. It was where I, where I always am on a football pitch. And uh, he said he used to be a photographer in Manchester and he used to photograph the city lads um, when we were training and running up Princess Parkway on the central reservation, etc., when we had nowhere where to train. And uh, he, he, he amazingly recognised us from that distance and from there. So while I was talking to him in the centre circle, um, there was, uh, there was a, a, a big portly man like Robert Morley uh, walking about in little moccasin shoes and uh, he was just walking about as the players were warming up and then uh, a stray ball happened into uh, into his path and it, with his left foot and his moccasins he flicked it up and I followed it right into the top corner past like the goalkeeper and he was only shooting in but what, a, what an effort and I said to the photographer, I said, you want to, you want to sign the fat guy up here? You want to get him playing? He said, oh, do you mean Mr. Pushkus? <laughs> I said, Pushkus? I looked at him and I said, God, it is him. And it was French Pushkus. He was the, uh, he was the coach of, uh, of this Melbourne team. And uh, he was just walking about keeping his eye on the players. Anyway, so there I was, and, uh, and, and uh, another st a stray ball came my way after a few seconds, and uh, obviously, me first touch was perfect. And then uh, the, the, the captain of Australia, as it happened, um, not Trebelski, uh, Trimbola, Trimbola, he came jogging over, athlete and everything, looked, just, looked a million dollars, spread his arms for me to pass the ball to him, no chance. There's only one person I'm going to pass this ball to, and it was to Mr. Pushkus. So I just laid a beautiful ball into his pass, went for a return, and we just exchanged a few passes before I got off the pitch, uh, before uh, anybody had come on and threw me off. 
But uh, it was a wonderful, wonderful moment. And as you alluded to a few minutes ago, these things just seem to happen to me. But uh, I'm always glad they do, and I'm always glad that I take advantage of them. Brilliant, brilliant. Well, I'm talking to Fred Eyre, uh, my former commentary partner on, on the BBC uh, and, of course, a Manchester City player of the past who's played for lots of different clubs. After dinner speaker, uh, you name it, he's done it and I'll speak some more to him right after this. I'm Ian Cheeseman, this is Tameside Radio, 103.6 FM. Uh, thanks very much for your company. I'm speaking sport in this particular hour, uh, and it's to Fred Eyre, uh, former co-commentator of mine, originally a Manchester City player, played for lots of different football clubs before doing other things uh, after his playing days. You played quite a bit um, in this area as well, the Tameside area, Fred, didn't you? Yeah, um, they didn't escape. Um, in the early 60s, when I was in non-league, uh, I had a short spell at uh, Hyde United. Bill Feasy was the manager. Albin Garrity uh, was the trainer and uh, enjoyed it there. They had a good team. Eric Lowry in goal, Ray Perry, uh, Jackie Dobson, Jimmy Elms. Um, good, good team, Hyde United. And uh, uh, yeah, I, I, I enjoyed it there, as I did most of, of my clubs. A bit later on, when I was a bit older, I was at, uh, I was at Staley Bridge. Um, Celtic for a, a short time under uh, under George Smith, um, the, who was a former goalkeeping colleague of mine, and uh, he was a manager. And he left um, he left to go to Iceland, and I stepped in as as actually the manager of Staley Bridge uh, for a short time uh, until they got uh, until they were able to uh, get someone decent. Again, putting yourself down. I mean, you 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 when you were at City. Um I think it's fair to say, well, you were there at the era when Dennis Law spent his, yeah. his first spell there. And, yeah. and obviously, I'm going to lead you into a story now because it's one of my favourites. But um, you, you also started, a bit like Francis Lee with his toilet paper industry, which must be thriving at the moment. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, you, you, you were very canny. You, uh, you started a business as well uh, and uh, enlisted a certain Mr Law to help you in that, didn't you? Yeah, I did. He um, he he uh, he didn't know it at the time when uh, when I received uh, got got this uh, I got this order. There was only me. Um, my mother used to take the phone calls at uh, at home, and I used to be running around town trying to get business all around Manchester, phoning my mother uh, in uh, from phone boxes all around Manchester, getting orders from her that uh, that had come in. Hopefully and uh, delivering them and uh, one particular day I'd um, been in um, somebody had said go to Horizon Travel and um, see Mr Jackson and uh, and tell him you're a friend of mine and uh, see if he he can put any business your way so that's exactly what I did I went to see uh, Mr Jackson and uh, I said it doesn't matter anything it doesn't matter how large or small um, you just ring this number. I didn't tell him it was mother at home. Just ring this number, and uh, if it's in the morning, I'll deliver it to you in the afternoon. If it's in the afternoon, it'll be the same day or the, the latest in the morning. Thanks very much indeed. Don't don't forget, no matter how large or small. And uh, that was it. Cheerio. And then later in the day, I rang, uh, I was outside the Midland Hotel in, and I got in, ducked in the telephone box that used to be there and rang my mother. I said, hi, ma'am, any, uh, any orders? He said, yes, I've got one here 
from Arise and Travel. I said, Arise and Travel. <laughs> All right, yeah, I'm with you, Mother. I'm with you, Mother, yeah. Um, it says, she said, it's a packet of paper clips. I said, right. She said, okay, will you be ringing later? I said, yeah, but finish this order first, Mother. She went, no, that's it. I said, a packet of paper clips. <laughs> that was about threepence. So uh, she said, yes, that was it. So I said, right. And I thought, wow, what on earth? But actually, I had a packet of paper clips in the car. I didn't have to go back to the office or uh, to a wholesaler's or anything. So I just got in the car, drove around to King Street, pulled up on the pavement, and uh, whizzed in. I said, they are, you've just been on the, on the phone. And uh, for a packet of paper clips, here they are. And uh, Mr. Jackson says, well, you'll do for me. Large or small, I wondered if you'd have uh, kept me word, and you have. So as it happens, I want uh, three desks, three chairs, and three four-drawer filing cabinets. And uh, does the same term still apply? I said, it certainly does. Offer whizzed out. This will keep me and my new wife, Judith, in uh, food for at least three months. So that's uh, brilliant. So I whizzed down to the wholesalers where I knew the furniture was, all excited. I was so excited as uh, the lad there at the other end, Neil Winterbottom, he gave me a lift in with all the furniture because I'd hired a van uh, on the way down. And uh, we loaded it all in and I was off back to Horizon Travel on King Street, bumped up on the same pavement that I'd done a couple of hours earlier, opened the tailgate of the hired van, and it was only then that I realised that I was on my own and I had, uh, had to get these uh, desk chairs, filing cabinets, up three flights of stairs all by myself. So uh, I sat on the tailgate. It was a red-hot day and wondering what I was going to do. Should I ring me dad? He won't be able to close his own shop. He, you know, no good ringing Judith at uh, uh, work. She wouldn't be able to lift all that. I was stuck. So I was sat there contemplating, and then a familiar voice uh, appeared behind me, uh, and he said, Hello, son, how are you doing? That's supposed to be a Scottish accent, by the way, Ian. <laughs> and uh, it was Dennis who just uh, rejoined, come back to England from Torino and signed for Manchester United. And I said, Oh, God, good to see you, Dennis. I've, uh, no, I've got a bit of a problem doing all right. I said, But I've got a bit of a problem here. Uh, I've got to get all this up to there, and I'm on my own. So he took his jacket off, slung it in the back of the van, took one end of the desk, I took the other, and we humped the furniture in, up and down, up and down, until it was all in there. And then on the last, on the last bit, I gave the girl the delivery note for her to sign as uh, Dennis uh, went out the door and, uh, to get in the lift. And uh, Mr. Jackson appeared, and I heard her say to uh, I heard her say to Mr. Jackson, "God, this lad must be doing well. He's got Dennis Law working part time for him in the afternoon." <laughs> great, great, great tale. Only you could tell that only the way because, you do. <laughs> only because it's a great, great man. The, the better the, the better they are. The bigger the star, the better they are. Yeah, absolutely. You, you've met and worked with some great people. I mean, surely, apart from obviously working with me as a co-commentator, um, you know, the, the, that, that must be one of the highlights. Um, what, what, do you, what do you think now of football now as, as it 
compares to when you were a player? Do, do you enjoy it as much? Do you like it or, or do you hanker for how it used to be? A bit of both, if I'm being honest. I don't want to be one of these people that are always looking uh, backwards uh, with uh, rose-coloured glasses, although I, I do admit I do love looking back, uh, especially at the great players. Um, so, yeah, I do enjoy that, but I also obviously enjoy watching Manchester City play the way that, uh, the way that they do today. It's just these things on the periphery, not just at City, but... Uh, um, that, that I don't en- I don't really enjoy. I can't stand players walking off talking behind the hands. Um, some of the uh, goal celebrations make me teeth grind together. Um, things like that. But in in terms of the actual spectacle on the pitch, uh, the the surfaces, the gra- you know the pitch, the ball, it's so easy to manipulate, and uh, the quality of the players that that. Um, that they produce these days in terms of fitness and the fact that the ball is so easy to control and on those wonderful surfaces, you don't, don't not six inches in, in mud at the baseball ground. Um, you know, so there are, there, there are great things from the past, and, but there are still some wonderful things to admire in this day and age as well. Who's the best player you've ever seen play football? Well, if... I'd be hard pushed to 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 pick one. Um, Di Stefano, um, Real Madrid. Um, he's a, a foreign player. Obviously, um, used to link up with my friend Puskas. Um, Duncan Edwards at um, at Manchester United and and Bobby Moore and Law. There's there's just so 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 many. But um, if if you were to pin me down, and I will, I will now be looking back, I would say um, Alfredo Di Stefano. Wow. Well, I never saw him play, but if you think he was the best of the lot, then he must have been good. Um, a bit like when I compare all my you know, co-commentators down the years, I'd have to pick you out, Fred. Um, we used to have uh, uh, lots of uh, long away journeys and... Um, and and the wit uh, that you would come out with uh, when you were analysing games um, always had me in hysterics. I miss doing that. I miss being with you. Uh, but it's been great to chat to you. Um, yeah, really appreciate your time. And, and great stories as well. Um, uh, and long may you continue. And, and hopefully we'll be back together, uh, if not literally, at some football match somewhere in the non-too-distant future because these are strange well, times we're living. Ian. Yeah, yeah. The strange times we'll leave that in your capable hands. (laughs) I'll sort it, don't worry. (laughs) I'll have a word with Mr. Trump. He seems to be the man who's in charge of everything. Uh, Right. I thought it was Mr. Bird. (laughs) Oh, yeah, here he is. But uh, Mr. Trump's in charge of the world, isn't he? It's a bigger problem. He's not in charge of Mr. Bird. (laughs) Fred, thanks very much for your time. That's uh, that's Fred Eyre. Um, one of my favourite people on the planet talking to me here on Tameside Radio. Uh, I'll be back with uh, with more uh, guests uh, next Saturday at one o'clock. In the meantime, enjoy the rest of your weekend and I'll see you then.